0: Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice, or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hey, everybody, this is Brent Foster. Today is July 24th, 2023. And this is the 47th episode of the Northbound Wealth Podcast. Let's get started. Stocks moved to rhythm of earnings seasons last week, initially rising on positive earnings surprises and faltering later in the week on key earnings disappointments. The Dow Jones Industrial Average rose 2.08%, while the S&P 500 added 0.69%. The NASDAQ Composite Index slumped 0.57% for the week. And the MSCI EFA Index, which tracks overseas Uh, Stock market slipped 0.32%. So what does that mean for the Dow? The Dow closed at 35,227. That's up 6.28% for the year. NASDAQ 14,032 and change. That's up 34.07% for the year. By far one of the best indexes. Uh, major indices across the board. MSCI EFA index closed at 2,181, that's up 12.24 percent for the year. SP 500 closed at 4,536 and change, that's up 18.15 percent for the year. 10 year treasury note closed at 3.84 percent. Uh, year to date, that's pretty much flat. So, earnings season is in focus, entering its first big week of second quarter earnings season. Solid reports. From the nation's largest banks, rewarded investor optimism, sparking a rally that continued into midweek. An announcement by a mega-cap tech company of a new AI subscription plan and stabilizing deposits at several regional banks further fed the investor enthusiasm. Disappointing earnings from two big tech names dragged down the market indices lower on Thursday with the largest losses in the NASDAQ composite, despite the reversal. 20 stocks in the S&P 500 touched 52-week highs on Thursday, with 11 reaching all-time highs. Stocks closed flat to the end of the week. Otherwise, uh, the week was pretty much mixed. Housing hits a bump, so June Housing Reports reminded investors that emerging housing recovery remained shaky after a massive 21.7% jump in housing starts in May. New home construction doubled 8% in June with building permits, an indicator of future home construction dropping 3.7%. Sales of existing homes were also lower in June, declining by 3.3%, owing to a uh, persistently low inventory level. This was the slowest pace since January. Year-over-year sales were lower by 18.9%. One reason for low inventory is that homeowners have been reluctant to sell homes on which uh, many have historically low mortgage rates and uh, face buying a new home at elevated prices with a much higher mortgage interest rate. This is gonna go on for a while. So uh, stay tuned for more updates on that. This week, key economic data. On Monday, purchasing manager's index or PMI the composite flash report Tuesday consumer confidence Wednesday FOMC announcement which uh, we expect uh, a raise an interest rate of 25 basis points by Jay Powell and the Fed new home sales Wednesday as well Thursday GDP durable goods and jobless claims Friday personal income and outlays so we'll be tracking a lot of that data and managing portfolios accordingly. So uh, notable companies reporting earnings. This is a big and very active week for earnings. So uh, we should see a lot of uh, voting, meaning buyers and sellers in the market uh, this week as they make decisions around these companies. So Tuesday, we've got uh, Microsoft, uh, GE or General Electric, uh, Verizon, Visa, Alphabet, uh, NXP Semiconductors, General Motors, Archer Daniels, Midland Company, 3M, Texas Instruments, Nexera Energy, Kimberly-Clark Corporation. Wednesday, we've got AT&T, Boeing, Coke, Lamb, Union Pacific, uh, ServiceNow, Thermo Fisher, uh, General Dynamics, O'Reilly Automotive, Chipotle. Thursday, we've got Amazon, Intel, Ford Motor, AvV, MasterCard, Bristol-Myers, uh, McDonald's, Northrop Grumman. Uh, HCA Healthcare, Honeywell International, T-Mobile, Southwest, and Boston Scientific Friday, ExxonMobil, Chevron, and the Procter & Gamble uh, company. So we round out the week with the value plays, right, typically. All right. So this week's tax tip, tax tips for side gigs. There are some important tips to remember if you're working a side gig or side hustle. All income from these sources, they're taxable, including Uh, both full and part-time work, and any cash payment received. As a gig worker, uh, correctively classify yourself as an employee or an independent contractor. This can depend on where you live, even for the same services. Lastly, it's important to consider paying quarterly taxes during the year to help avoid any federal or state tax penalties for underpayment. And again, uh, these tax tips are uh, not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice, we suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. And this tip was adapted from irs.gov. On to the next segment. We've got a great and interesting show for you. Uh, stay tuned. So I've got an excerpt that I want to go over. tealing capital markets. Um, that's the headline. Capital markets are showing some optimism and starting to open back up. And this excerpt's from the transcript uh, dated on the 24th. So uh, markets are showing some optimism that we've made it through inflation and interest rate shocks without creating significant recessionary pressures. As equity indexes rise, capital markets are starting to open back up. The Fed may raise interest rates one more time, but markets appear to be looking past this and are enthusiastic that the finish line may be approaching. So the market is a discounting mechanism looking forward about six to eight months. And so you're seeing some uh, positive sentiment play out in the markets with the push higher, as well as a squeeze, a short squeeze on the short sellers that are out there. Um, And eventually, though, I will say that uh, that I don't think it's just like smooth sailing the rest of the year. I think we're going to have a correction at some point between now and the end of the year. Technical analysis is concerned. It kind of shows that because it cuts through the BS and the biases that are out there. Uh, a lot of the charting does. So it's kind of nice to look at that versus somebody's opinion uh, because they're, they're propagating a narrative. So macro uh, markets look better than they were a year ago. We've made it through inflation. The inflation shock and most of the way through interest rate shock, I feel better about the way markets look today than I did 12 months ago, says President Jonathan Gray of Blackstone. They're back in the market. And we saw in aggregate for the second quarter, uh, buyers were about 20% higher than sales. Our clients are showing some optimism, says Charles Schwab, CEO Walt Bettinger. It appears the Fed has managed to slow down growth without creating a recession. Basically, uh, we would say at this point, the efforts of the FOMC and the Federal Reserve Bank to slow economic activity down a bit seem to be taking hold. And thankfully, without creating any significant recessionary pressures, says Hancock Whitney, CEO uh, John M. Harrison. Uh, we seem to be close to an end of the of rate increases. So after rapidly rising rates over 15 months, Fed reached a pause, if not a plateau at a recent meeting. And while we may not be quite at the end of rate increases, I believe we are very, very close to it, says Morgan Stanley's James Gorman. And then, uh, I don't know, the Fed may have one more raise in them. I think they're going to raise rates. It sounds like one more time, and then they're going to hold here for a, For a longer period of time to slow the economy, we're getting through this. And I think that's one of the reasons why we see enthusiasm in the market, says Blackstone's chief operating officer, Jonathan Gray. Uh, Another quote, our guidance now assumes 25 basis point Fed funds increased at the July meeting, followed by constant rates for the balance of the year, says Fulton Financial CEO, Curtis Myers. Um, All right. So I'm going to skip down. Uh, let's see, after July, the next fo- focus is Jackson Hole. Isn't that the truth? It's pretty baked in that the Fed will h- hike in July. Then you have Jackson Hole. That's going to be a very important meeting. And then what happens in November, because if it's one hike every two meetings between July and November is a long time and there will be a lot of data in that period. And so if they pass on November, it's going to be very hard for them to restart again, says Bank of New York Mellon's CEO, Dermot William McDonough. Consumer spending is growing at about 5% rate. If you think the U.S. consumer, if you think about them, what we see with the 60 plus million consumers we have is the rate of their spending, not only their debt and credit cards, which is 3% you mentioned, but all the other ways they put money out. Every day is growing at about a 5% rate, says Bank of America CEO, Brian Moynihan. Let's see, this is in line, he says, with uh, the pre-pandemic era. So as you look at it now, our, our, our customer spending patterns are now more consistent with the pre-pandemic, lower growth, lower inflation economy. Uh, that's interesting that he says that. Uh, and uh, that implies that consumers are in relatively good shape. On the whole, I'd say consumers are in relatively good shape, says Capital One CEO Richard Fairbank. But would he say anything else? I mean, look at Capital One. I mean, I, I we did buy their stock and we're up on the, on that stock trade uh, quite significantly in the last uh, month or so, two months. Uh, last quarter, uh, I said that we thought the consumer uh, in no way was tapped out. And we still feel that's the case for sure, says Auto Nation CEO Michael Manley. So capital markets are going to open back up. Here's a quote from CEO David Solomon. We're seeing it uh, begin to pick up in a few spots already, particularly equity capital markets and M&A dialogue. There's no question. Recent economic data in the US indicates the Fed's efforts to fight inflation are showing progress and we're starting to see more optimism about the forward trajectory. When I go back and I look at historically, Uh, at other periods where the macro environment has created sharp drops in investment banking activity. They tend to last for a year or so, and then they start to improve. And so I think that we're starting to see that here. It's definitely feels better. I think the inflation data has been better says Goldman Sachs CEO again, David Solomon. So there's a few quotes from early earnings calls, uh, and some conference calls from some CEOs in America. And Uh, It's worth noting. So check it out. Check out the next segment. So the six biggest mistakes DIY investors make and how to avoid them. Over the last several months, I've met with quite a few self-proclaimed do-it-yourselfers, investors who, after struggling with the markets in 2022, approached me asking for a second opinion. Interestingly, almost every self-directed investor I've met has experienced similar setbacks. As The market continues to evolve. These investors are experiencing a mixture of successes and challenges, but mostly challenges. One landmark study showed that the average equity investor posted an average analyzed return of 6.81% for the 30-year period ending on December 31st, 2022. That's the end of last year. That's below the 9.65% return of the S&P 500 index for the same period of time. Put another way, after 30 years, the DIY investor's original investment of $100,000 increased to almost $722,000, but the S&P 500 account was worth more than $1.59 million. This illustration is an example of what can happen over the long term. Keep in mind that it's unlikely that a portfolio would be 100% invested in the S&P 500, which is an unmanaged index considered to be representative of the overall US stock market. Um, But the point is clear. Uh, An individual can be their own worst enemy when it comes to investing. The study concluded, Often succumbing to short-term strategies such as market timing or performance chasing, many investors lack knowledge and or ability to exercise the necessary discipline to capture the benefits markets can provide over the longer-term time horizons. In short, they too frequently react to market maturations and lower their longer-term returns. In this segment of our podcast, we will dive into the six most common mistakes that I've seen DIY investors make and provide insights on how to potentially overcome them. By recognizing these pitfalls, you may be able to make smarter decisions and position your portfolio for long-term growth. Number one, diversification dilemma. A well-diversified portfolio can be a key cornerstone of a successful investment strategy. Unfortunately, many DIY investors find it challenging to strike a proper balance. A lack of diversification may lead to higher than expected risk profiles impacting your portfolio's overall performance. To manage this risk, take the time to understand what types of investments you own and how they are positioned. And remember, diversification and asset allocation are approaches to help manage investment risk. They do not guarantee against investment losses. Number two, emotional roller coaster. Emotions can be a DIY investor's worst enemy. When the market is volatile, it's natural to feel stressed or anxious. However, emotional decision-making can lead to impulsive buying and selling often at the wrong time. To keep your emotions in check, establish a clear investment strategy and stick to it. Focus on your goals, time horizon, and risk tolerance rather than short-term market fluctuations. Number three, overconfidence trap. The overconfidence trap is a common pitfall for DIY investors. It is easy to assume that past successes will continue, whether the markets are trending higher or lower. This overconfidence can cause you to be out of position during a period of volatility. And by the way, I'll just make this comment. It doesn't just happen to DIY investors. Professional money managers do the same thing from time to time. They just do it less frequently. To avoid falling into this trap, approach investing with humility. So be humble and recognize that the financial markets are full of surprises. Conduct thorough research, assess potential risks, and make informed decisions based on data rather than intuition or emotion. Number four, fees and taxes oversight. Fees and taxes are sneaky, by the way. They can have an impact on your investment returns. However, many DIY investors overlook these costs when making decisions. High fees can erode your returns while inefficient tax management can generate expenses. Remember, this segment is for informational purposes only and is not a replacement for real life advice. So make sure to consult a financial professional if you have questions about fees and taxes. Your financial professional may need to consult with a tax professional before modifying your investment strategy for tax-related reasons. Number five, inconsistent portfolio reviews. Regular portfolio reviews can help your investment strategy. Unfortunately, many DIY investors neglect this step. Without periodic evaluations, your investments may drift from your original goals and you may overlook opportunities to rebalance or adjust your strategy. To avoid this mistake, set a specific time to conduct a portfolio review. Ask yourself questions like, what role is this investment playing in my portfolio? And, have any investments reached my target price? Or, have any investments slipped below an estimated price floor? Number six, hesitating to seek advice. Many DIY investors believe they can handle everything themselves and are hesitant to seek professional advice. However, even the most experienced, self-directed investors may benefit from guidance from a financial professional. Don't be afraid to ask for help. A licensed financial professional may have access to resources that can offer some key insights, and they are trained to consider a wide range of factors before determining If an investment fits your goals, time horizon and risk tolerance. In conclusion, DIY investing can be a rewarding journey if you're able to learn from your mistakes and make adjustments as different market cycles emerge. You may be better positioned to pursue your investment strategy if you can recognize these common challenges. Some DIY investors maintain a smaller account for their speculative endeavors while working with a financial professional to help them position Their larger portfolio assets based on their goals, time horizon, and risk tolerance. This collaboration and teamwork allows DIY investors to potentially benefit from financial professional training while still retaining control over a portion of their investments. Remember, knowledge is power, and continuous learning is one key to long-term success in the ever-evolving world of investing. If you're interested in working with a financial professional, reach out to Northbound Wealth Management. We'd be happy to help. On to the next segment. Hey, everybody. Thanks for staying tuned. This is the 401k specialist piece that I received from Brian Anderson. I subscribe to uh, 401k specialist. Very great content they put out and educational material in regards to 401ks and retirement planning. And so I highly recommend it for those that might be in the industry or those interested. So there's a couple of uh, articles I'm going to go over. One of them is one in five fear never being able to retire so it's a, a recent poll, of those who doubt retiring, vast majority in a new axios Ipsos poll say that it's because they don't think they'll be able to afford it. And this was published on the 24th of uh, July, 2023. So one in five Americans believe they'll never be able to retire according to a new Axios Ipsos pulling on retirement. Not surprisingly, financial worries are the main reason for this. Among the 20% who don't think they'll ever retire, a decisive majority, 70%, say it's because they can't or won't be able to afford to retire, while only 19% of people say they just don't want to retire. The research released on July 20th found two in five unretired Americans, 40%, say they would prefer to work as long as they can and not fully retire. This is especially true for respondents over the age of 55 who have not retired. Americans over the age of 55 who haven't retired are split on whether they will retire at, on the, at the time they expected. About one third of these respondents, or 36%, roughly, say that they will retire when they planned. About a quarter or 23% report that they will have to retire later than they had planned. And 40% aren't sure if they will be able to retire at the time that they expected. Under half of those 55 uh, plus or 55 and older who aren't retired, 44% say they've had a change to uh, they've had to change retirement plans due to economic factors out of their control. Given many respondents' financial concerns with retirement, more than half of Americans who haven't retired, which is about 52%, plan to move somewhere with a lower cost of living when they retire. Hey, hey, uh, United States, you might want to think about that, meaning individual states in the United States. If you keep costs low, Uh, and you're actually in a decent climate, you're going to receive more retirees as they retire, especially the baby boom generation, FYI. Uh, So those state and local governments might want to think about that um, if they want to bring in that additional tax revenue, let's say. Okay. Not relying on social security. The article goes on, the research shows Americans are affording it uh, and financing retirement using several different tactics. Most Americans who aren't retired, 62%, say they expect Social Security will cover less than half of their expenses in retirement. Over one-third of Americans who aren't retired, or 37%, say that their Social Security will likely cover less than 25% of their expenses, with an additional one in four, 24%, thinking that Social Security will cover a quarter to about half of their expenses, or 24 to 49% of expenses. At that time, just 37% of people who are retired say that Social Security covers less than half of their expenses. Nearly one in five retirees, or 19%, say that Social Security covers a quarter or less of their expenses which uh, less, that's that's less than 25% of expenses. And an additional 18% of retirees report that Social Security covers a quarter to about half of their expenses or 25% to 49% of expenses. Just 5% of retirees say that Social Security covers 100% of their expenses. Outside of Social Security, two thirds of Americans who aren't retired, 66%, let's say, uh, they plan to rely on retirement accounts like a 401k, 403b, an IRA, and the like. Uh, Half of Americans currently retired, which is 50%, say they'll utilize retirement accounts to fund their retirement. More findings uh, goes on to say fewer Americans who aren't retired plan to use a pension. While pensions are more common among those already retired, three in 10 respondents who aren't retired say they will rely on a pension, while more than half of current retirees, say, which is about 54%, say they will utilize a pension to fund their retirement. About, about two in five or 41% say that they have never talked about saving for retirement with their friends, and 57% say they've never talked to a financial planner about retirement. Hmm. Interesting. Most Americans feel that the point of working hard is to enjoy retirement and spend time with friends and family. Isn't that the truth? That's good. Majorities of retirees say it's easier to take care of their mental, emotional, and physical health after retirement, while fewer people who aren't retired agree. Most Americans who are retired, which is 68%, of the retirees say they feel better than ever now uh, that they've retired. Hmm. Uh, It says a lot about the working world, right? And raising kids and a family in America and that type of thing. The axios Ipsos poll was conducted uh, July 7th through the 9th of 2023 by Ipsos and is based on a nationally representative probability sample of 1,238 general population adults 18 or older. The sample includes an oversample of 210 adults age 55 and older. Great article, right? Really insightful. All right. Stay tuned for the next article coming from 401kspecialist.com. And it's a publication where the editor-in-chief, Brian Anderson, uh, puts this out. And Brian Anderson is a veteran financial services industry and journalist Uh, He joined joined 401k specialists as managing editor in January of 2019. Uh, Well done with that article and I'm spotlighting that. And then the next article I'll also spotlight because it talks about the Gen Xers out there. And I thought it would be important for my client base to hear this. Hey everybody, here's another article that I came across that I thought would be informative to those of you who are Generation X or Gen Xers. It's from the 401k specialist. And it's the second uh, part of uh, of this podcast that I've talked about articles from the 401k specialist. I think they do a great job. But an analysis from NIRS found that the typical Gen X household has just $40,000 in retirement savings in private accounts. Now, that's stunning, really. This article was published on July 14th, 2023. It'll just take a couple minutes to go through. Uh, just a few years away from retirement, many Gen Xers have very little and sometimes nothing saved for their post-work years, according to a new study. An analysis from the National Institute on Retirement Security, or NIRS, found the typical Gen X household has just about 40000 in retirement savings in private accounts, Only about half, 55% of Gen Xers are participating in an employer-sponsored retirement plan. Additionally, savings are highly concentrated among high earners. For the top quartile, the mean retirement savings is around $250,000. But for the bottom quartile, the mean shrinks to just $35,000, found NIRS in its research. Looking at median savings, the outlook gets worse. The bottom quartile has just $200 saved. And the second quartile has only $4,290 put away. These are just stunning numbers. Gen Xers are fast approaching retirement age, but the data indicates that the vast majority are not even close to having enough savings to retire, said Dan Doonan, NIRS executive director in a statement. This really isn't surprising given the terrible retirement hand that has been dealt to the latchkey generation. The American dream of retirement is going to be a nightmare for too many Gen Xers. Well, that I can agree with. I was born in 1982, so I'm just two years outside of being a Gen Xer technically. There's a gray area around that. Um, Gen Xers, those born between 1965 and 1980. Were the first generation to mostly enter the workforce after the shift from defined benefit plans or DB plans to defined contribution plans or DC plans. Just 14% of Gen X are covered by a defined benefit plan. Stagnant wages, that's totally true, rising costs, yep, and multiple economic crises over the years have placed many would be Gen X savers at a disadvantage, Dunan said. I completely agree with that. Uh, Hispanic and Black Gen Xers are particularly unprepared. Only a third of Hispanic Gen Xers, 35%, are participating in employer sponsored retirement savings plans. And clearly, all Black and Hispanic Gen Xers are at less than half of their retirement savings targets. The median retirement savings balance for Black Gen Xers is $1, and the median for Hispanic Gen Xers is $0. A big part of the problem is that far too many Gen Xers don't have access to retirement plans through their employers, said Tyler Bond, an NIRS research director, in a statement. As a result, a large share of Gen X has virtually nothing saved for retirement, and most who are saving are not even close to savings targets that will enable them to retire with their current standard of living, according to Accruing savings takes time and social security alone won't provide enough retirement income. So it's critically important that we change course quickly. The status quo means that we are looking at elder poverty for many Gen Xers and pressure on their families for support. An impoverished generation of retirees could have substantial economic impacts. Gen X represents almost 64 million Americans or nearly 20% of the population. And the oldest group of Gen Xers, are 58, just four years away from retirement age. The report suggests shoring up Social Security and other legislative measures to help ensure Gen X retirees receive the support they'll need. Now, that sounds like an awful lot of taxes to me or entitlements. So newsflash to Gen Xers out there and also Gen Z millennials, start saving. Save early and allow compounded interest to build and returns on investment to to build for you over a long period of time so that you avoid this major pitfall. Now, there there have been a lot of crises for the Gen Xers, including 2008 um, and the Great Recession. And then you have a pandemic. You have all kinds of stuff going on, uh, all the way back to even 9-11 two thousand one, the dot-com bust in 2000, 99 and 2000. Um, so there's, and then also parents that are old, that older that you'll have to take care of. And then you're also raising kids at the same time. Um, and then taking care of uh, a lot of other things and then stagnant wages. I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. And so um, it is a generation that is, you know, fraught with a lot of issues. Uh, and so, you know, Each generation has their issues and uh, it doesn't sound like it's going to change a whole lot going forward. It might actually get worse. So uh, take heed, take note and save, invest and be disciplined with your spending, Um, all of those things. Um, But I thought that I would share this on the podcast. Thanks for listening this week to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. If you have any questions and want to talk to us, you can send us an email at info at or give us a call at 317-399-1107. We'd be happy to talk with you. Take care and have a great week.